Hello, peoples, and welcome to Esoterica Cinema, the show where we often take two films from the cinematic multiverse and discuss the hell out of them, but not today. Today is another half episode, which is a term that we paid a lot of money to a marketing firm to come up with, and we feel like that was money well spent. And also, we're lazy, and, you know, we have video games to play and stuff like that, so what are we going to do? Work? Now, before we begin, I do want to remind everyone that this is not a film review podcast. It's a film discussion podcast. So because of that, we are going to talk spoilers. If you haven't seen the film that we're going to discuss here today, it's going to be available for streaming online right now. So feel free to go ahead and check that out first, then come back with us. But if you'd like to stick around, we will be walking you through the film. So even if you haven't seen it, you should be able to enjoy it. All right, with that out of the way, let's get to the program. My name is Jason Peters, and with me today is the man that Tim Burton once described as delightfully macabre, Mr. Ryan Siebold. What's up, Jason? How are you, buddy? I'm doing well. How is life in Tampa, sir? Hot and humid. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's brutal over here in L.A., too. It's like uh, we, we're having triple digits this weekend, so... Pretty rough, pretty rough. Yep, it's uh, it's time for staying indoors. No, <laughs> no time for going outside right now. <laughs> exactly, and what better activity to keep you entertained than watching films and coming here and discussing them Absolutely. with us? Absolutely. What do we got on, on tap, Ryan? We're doing El Mariachi today. Ah, uh, yes, classic yes, yes. First film by Mr. Robert Rodriguez. Mm. Uh, this one's near and dear to me. Back in 1992, I was... But 12 years old, 93, I guess, maybe it was 93. Uh, 1993, yes, I'm just double-checking right now. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, 13 years old, just getting uh, ready to hit high school, and El Mariachi drops. And I was just, this was about the age, too, Jason, that I was, like, just starting to pay attention to these kinds of movies. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, trying to go find them at Blockbuster, and, oh, who's this Quentin Tarantino fella I keep hearing about? You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, movie stores weren't quite as rife with... Uh, you know, smaller films, you kind of had to go to smaller little mom and pop video shops to find these movies. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, as the 90s progressed, Blockbuster caught on and get caught up with the times. But uh, you always kind of felt like or I personally felt like, uh, you know, oh, I'm a I'm a cinephile, you know, like I'm I'm into yeah. this shit. You, you don't know what I know. It always kind of gave me a leg up. Uh, on my friends and family to know what El Mariachi was or to know what Reservoir Dogs was. Now it's pretty commonplace because we have, you know, so many ways to watch these. But uh, just know that this was a challenge back in the day to see this movie. (laughs) All right. So iTunes and Apple.com describe this as uh, El Mariachi, an action adventure from 1993, sitting in a nice hour and 21 minutes. So we can get through this pretty quickly. Uh, All he wants to be is a mariachi like his father, his grandfather, and his great-grandfather before him. But the town he thinks will bring him luck brings only a curse of deadly mistaken identity. Forced to trade his guitar for a gun, the mariachi is playing for his life in this critically acclaimed film debut from director Robert Rodriguez, made for two used condoms and a nickel. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Apple said that? So, wow. Jason. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're kind of branching out to the extreme market. Uh, J- Jason, what do you think about this movie? 
Okay, dude, I, so here's the thing, man. First of all, let's get this right out of the gate, okay? Acknowledging up front, like, props to this 22, 23-year-old kid for making a feature film, getting it picked up by a major distributor, and getting it out there, right? I'm pretty sure at that time, like, I was probably just, like, getting hammered in a corner somewhere while this guy was, like, actually making, like, something out of himself, right? So, or at the very least, I think that was, like, right around the time we were in film school together, actually, dude, when I was 23, uh, either way, yeah. <laughs> either way, I certainly was not uh, directing and you know completing feature films. Uh, probably half started like you know three different screenplays and didn't do anything with them. So, major major respect to to this you know kid for for making this thing and getting it done and seeing it through and having the vision and all that. That being said, it's not a great film in and of itself, Ryan. I mean, I'm sure that there's a you know a certain level of having to view this lens through history to be able to appreciate it for what it was. But like, this is the type of movie that alcoholics watch at 1 a.m. on a Tuesday on Cinemax. <laughs> okay, this is like not a film that is elegant. It's not a film that is, it's it's an action movie without much action and everything that goes along with an action movie. And this is kind of one of my, so it's a low budget action movie. And I think that one of the most unfortunate things about low budget action movies is like, you don't go to action movies for great dialogue, for, you know, elegant character arcs, any of these things. Like, you go there for action scenes. You go there to watch people fire guns and get the crap beat out of them and beat the crap out of other people and get chased by cars and blah, 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 and all that shit that we like, right? So when you make a movie for $7,000, which was the budget on this film, there, there's just not a lot of resources to have a ton of action movies. So instead we get, like, you know... An entire five-minute scene of a, a musical performance in a bar in an 80-minute movie. And it's like, that's just filler. And is yeah, so, again, I, I'm certainly not going to compare what this cat was doing at 22 to what I was doing at 22. All the respect in the world for the fact that, you know, it started his career and things worked out for him. But didn't love the film. Uh, what, what, what did you think, Ryan? I mean... If we're not going to compare what, what you both were doing at 22, we probably really shouldn't compare what you're both doing at uh, 36, 37. <laughs> How dare I you, sir? That would be too. I don't hear Rodriguez starting a podcast out of his house. The, Thank yeah, you very much. Uh, take that. <laughs> take, take that, that sir. Um, <laughs> the the other thing I wanted to add was uh, how did you know I watched this at one a.m. on a Tuesday? Like that, that's kind of uh, specific. <laughs> you, uh, <laughs> hitting a little close to home with that one, know? buddy. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, all I, I think it goes without saying all Floridians are alcoholics. So here we are watching El Mari. It's just when Floridians just watch vibes, El Mariachi is one a.m. on a yeah. Just got the vibes, man. This this movie is very uh, dated. Uh, in a way, not a good way. Um, there were, I feel like there were a lot of movies that came out from auteurs around this time. So this was early nineties seems like to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is kind of a resurgence of the indie auteur uh, out of the studio system kind of deal. So sure, yeah. uh, the seventies had its auteurs. Uh, the eighties had its auteurs in a different way, but it, it, the, I feel like the eighties to me always kind of is when I think of the eighties, I think it's the resurgence of the studio system. It's mm -hmm. Indiana Jones, it's Ghostbusters, it's yeah. Goonies, it's Spielberg and Zemeckis and you know, all these big 
fantasy movies and blockbuster films. That was the 80s to me. It was mm-hmm. cocaine and discotheque and Studio 54 and all the good stuff, Flash. And, uh, and then the 90s came and it was grunge and Nirvana and Pearl Jam and you know indie hip hop and the, mm-hmm. the boom bap movement and all of that. And then we also had these movies and you got people like Kevin Smith coming out. You've got uh, Linklater, uh, Richard Linklater, um, Dickie Links, I call him Dickie Links. Uh, <laughs> you it's a got great name, Robert dude. Rodriguez, and you got Quentin Tarantino. And some of these movies hold up, uh, some don't. They got high acclaim because of the same reason I think I opened with, which is they were kind of an uh, an in the know kind of underground, you know, gritty. I remember my friend, you know, these weren't movies you saw. Uh, at eight o'clock at your local Cinemaplex, this was a movie uh, that your friends had a VHS copy of that they found or were able to buy in a bargain bin or something. There was like one copy on the shelf, and you had to wait, you know, three weeks until it finally became available. Um, <laughs> you, movies like uh, even movies like uh, Slacker, which is on our list, I think. Clerks. Um, I remember it, yeah. it, that these movies they kind of paved the way to singles camera crows uh, singles i don't know if you've watched mm-hmm. that recently but that didn't hold Not up recently. very well <laughs> no i bet it did matt dillon uh <laughs> matt dillon with <laughs> with an any better haircut um <laughs> but that kind of paved the way for studios to take some chances on some smaller films as well and then you get movies like in the mouth of madness by john carpenter you get friday uh with ice cube and chris tucker kind of launched chris tucker's career uh reality bites uh directed by uh ben stiller uh, why known a writer? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I kind of feel like this kind of falls in line. You start to talk about all these and, and look at the bigger picture and zoom out a bit. And they they either had their place in history because they were good films or because uh, they paved the way for other good films to be made. Very few films in the 90s kind of held up. I don't know. That's yeah. just my little diatribe. I digress. Yeah, I mean, you definitely have to look at it through that historical lens to be able to appreciate it. And I think that your right, ability right. and and look, that's I mean, that's kind of the deal with like nostalgia. Right. You know, like there are people which I don't understand this at all, but there are people that, you know, think it's difficult to go back and watch Jurassic Park. Now, I've watched that movie what? within the last few years, and I think it holds up just as well as anything else. But there's people that argue like, no, it's actually not a good film and it's just your nostalgia that you're leaning on without realizing it. And I'm like, that's bullshit, dude. That's like a good movie. That those people are damn fools. Stop being <laughs> friends with those people. <laughs> well, for what it's worth, it's like other like, you know, like film critics and like, you know, like sort of the you film, dis- film discussions that. that are happening like online, you know, Reddit, other podcasts, things like that. Um, so, yeah, but, yeah. but I, I to your to your point, though, I think that some of these movies I, I disagree. First off, Jurassic Park is a huge blockbuster. I don't think that falls in line with what we're talking about because they threw hundreds of millions of dollars at that film to make it work. But sure. uh, outside of being Steven Spielberg, I think there's movies on these smaller scales that, again, just like you said, like are remembered as being great films. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I watched Friday as a kid, you know, or, yeah. or Half Baked or Clerks or I mean, the, in the Mouth of Madness, geez, uh, Event Horizon is another one. That's and a really good movie, well. dude. I'm glad um, that that kind of like, I don't know if you have been aware of this, but event horizons kind of like gotten a resurgence over the years. Like it's, I guess it's kind of becoming one of those yeah, like yeah. cult movies. It's, it's really cool, dude. It's definitely the, the best thing Paul W S Anderson has ever done by a mile. Oh, like, absolutely. Compared to his shitty AVP right. movies. <laughs> God, no, you're not wrong. Movies. I, uh, I actually, I do really like, I like all these movies. I like all the, and I liked El Mariachi as well. Yeah. I just think that, um, 
You know, the 90s were a weird time for technology, too, because we were almost where we're at now. From 2000 on, uh, once we got, you know, modern cell phones and smartphones, it's all kind of been very similar. But when you see people using, uh, dude, my my first note of this film, kind of bringing it back now that we've talked about the genre, uh, Mm -hmm. talking about this movie in particular, El Mariachi, the cordless phones with the floppy antennas (laughs) and the cloud antennas. were hilarious. Oh, man, the, yeah, Our head bad guy, Moko, uses this cordless phone with a floppy antenna. And I know this antenna well. Uh, <laughs> I, my friend's parents had this phone. Um, I'm sure anyone that's watched this movie, uh, it just, but it's hard to take this guy seriously in all white looking like this, you know, hard gangster man uh, who's supposed to be ultimately menacing. And he's got this, what looks to be a floppy dong coming off of his phone, <laughs> just kind of like rattling around behind his head. <laughs> okay, Ryan, hold on. Now, before we continue, dude, I got to ask you one thing, which is like, where did you watch this film? Originally or this time? No, no, no. Like this time. Like, did like, like, did you get it through Amazon? Did you watch it on Crackle? Where'd you watch it? Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, I watched this through Amazon. Yeah, I rented it. Okay, cool. It was 99 cents. Correct. Yeah, I did too. So to anybody listening, so so obviously like us, you're going to go online and you're going to search for this film, right? Okay, so if you haven't yet or if you have before, Ryan, I don't know if you did this, but there is a free version on Crackle, okay? You don't have to pay any money for it. I'm sure this is why Amazon lowered their price to 99 cents. However, the version on Crackle is the English dub, Okay. Now, oh, Ryan, no. I actually started watching the first five to seven minutes on Crackle because, again, I'm a cheap bastard. If I can save a <laughs> buck, dude, I'm going to save a buck, right? And I didn't realize that it was dubbed. And it starts. And if you can imagine, go figure. But in 1992, the studio system and general population, when it comes to dubbing of Mexican voices was not exactly sympathetic. (laughs) (laughs) And so right off the bat, dude, like you get this moco and it's just like the broadest stereotype of like a white person doing like a Mexican accent. Like, hey, Martin, where are you going? Like, he sounds like freaking like Speedy (laughs) Gonzalez or some shit, right? And I gave it like three minutes and I was like, dude, if I, I could watch this, but it would be a very different review. And honestly, looking back, it might have been a lot more fun. Like, we might want to do like a bonus yeah. episode where we go back and just watch the English dub. And watch the dubbed version. But, that would be fantastic. <laughs> the one thing I will tell you is that on this episode, all of our clips are that English dub. So you guys are all going to get a taste of the brilliance of white people interpreting Mexican voices in 1992. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, not sympathetic in the slightest. It's and, it, and it's it's funny because like it ends up, it's basically the equivalent dude of like those old shitty dubs of like Japanese Kung Fu and Godzilla, you know, like we used to make fun of all the times that a kids were, you know, you're like, Hey, what's going on? And like your mouth's still moving and shit, you know, like that joke we all made, like, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's legit like that, dude. So if anybody hasn't seen it and you're thinking about doing the crackle version, don't, it's horrible unless you just want to get fucked up and just giggle your ass off. In which case, yeah, go ahead. It's not going to cost you anything, but if you really want to take all in for the latter, <laughs> if you really want to take the film seriously, just go to Amazon, spend the 99 cents. I think you can even buy it for seven ninety nine if you do like this film. 
like I said, it wasn't a strong buy for me. It's just the, the the heavy late night Cinemax vibes were a little bit much, and it wasn't in that like sexy soft core porn sort of way. So like, uh, yeah, man, it wasn't Red Shoe Diaries, so uh, I passed. <laughs> Probably a commentary on me more than the film. Man, I I just love that you have like a sliding scale between uh, the, the the quality of your dubbing you'll you'll accept versus the titties you need in the movie to offset it. <laughs> Content is king, my friend. What can I say? It's like, well, you're starting to slide into needing more titties, country. I don't know if I'm going to sit through any more of this. <laughs> I believe this uh, characterizes us as woke, right? This is a very woke conversation That's we're having right now, right? Yeah, this is great. Um, <laughs> So, dude, let's get yeah. so now that we're like, what, 15 minutes into this damn thing, let's go ahead and get started on the film. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, uh, we, we did watch a movie, everybody. We um. did. <laughs> <laughs> so when we open up, uh, we, we actually open up on this, you know, it's a wide angle lens because I'm sure he just had one lens to work with and that's what he was doing. It's on this, uh, you know, some some sort of funky framing of like a beat up cop car. And it's in front of this like old school, small ass jail and prison. And, you know, the, the policewoman drives up, she enters the building, that's where we get introduced to uh, the mob, I don't know if he's like a mob boss, or he's, I think he's kind of his own entity, either way, he's a drug dealer, let's say, his name is Azul, actually, and he's sort of running his business out of the prison, he gets a call from, like, this other drug dealer who's a, you know, step up in the food chain, who kind of runs the city, or whatever it is, his name is Moko, and he is very clearly a white dude, who uh, has been given, like, it's funny because, like, he's, like, blonde-haired and blue eyes. And actually, in the in, in the right. me- in the Mexican language version, like, his Spanish uh, accent is, or is, like, more pronounced than the actual, like, his, like, Mexicans. So, like, it was kind of well, weird. Well, you know he doesn't speak Spanish. Really? I mean, he, Yeah, he, so he doesn't, that's, that's why this is hilarious to me when you talk about the English dubbing because... For anything Moco related, which, by the way, means booger in Spanish. And uh, again, I watched this with um, uh, my brother and his fiance came over. We we put it on. I told him we were watching this thing. And so uh, we made a night of it. And she speaks Spanish. She's Dominican. Uh, Uh And so uh, she translated uh, some of these names. Uh, I I think one's like cucumber. One's uh, (laughs) but one that the the baddest of the bad guy uh, is named Moco, which means booger. (laughs) <laughs> and she just kept giggling that uh, she couldn't take this guy seriously. But he, so Rodriguez made this, uh, paid for this movie by having uh, experiments done on him and trying new drugs in doctor's really? offices. Wow. Uh, where they pay you the hundred bucks or whatever. And he yeah. got a hundred bucks a day for 30, 30 days or something and raised a bunch of money that way. Wow. Um, in those test trials, he met Peter Marquardt, who uh, played Moco in the film, didn't speak a lick of Spanish, but had the, had the look Rodriguez wanted. So he's like, come on, be on my movie. So they actually held Spanish cue cards up uh, right off of camera that he was just reading the Spanish and hoping he got it right. <laughs> he didn't know what he was saying at all. And, uh, so I would love to see an English dubbing of him performing Spanish, not knowing Spanish as an English guy. Dude, <laughs> I don't know. yeah, I don't know. I, I swear, I swear he at least had some like very basic Spanish, like, que, como, something like that, like, you tell me he did, he just spoke English the entire movie. Was I that out of it watching it? Uh, no, no, he he spoke Spanish. He uh, off of cue cards. They you know had to oh, feed him those lines. Okay. So gotcha, gotcha. I thought you were he saying he was reading. He was reading his lines. He would like learn his lines. He'd like read through like three or four of them. Gotcha. And, uh, and then 
and Someone action. Would... And then he would just like go through what he just read, you know, and then he'd be yeah. like, I got nothing else. Total, total, <laughs> like, total I can't ad lib. Basically, he couldn't ad lib or. Yeah, total actor move where he just has like no idea what he's saying. He's like, I don't know. I just say the words on yeah, the guard, yeah. right? Like, like, right, like, yep. like Ron Burgundy signing off, right? Like, if it's there, <laughs> I'm going to read it. <laughs> Good night and go fuck yourself. <laughs> so, yeah, dude. So basically, the movie begins when uh, Moko has an assassination attempt where he sends in some guys that. Look like they were like, I don't know, Rodriguez's tax accountants and attorneys or some shit. They certainly didn't look like professional baddies, but I think this is don't you don't you get the idea that just he just went around to everybody in his like small ass Mexican town and was like, Hey, wanna help me out and play a role? And they were like, sure, No, that's exactly not doing what anything happened. Else. That's exactly what happened. Extras, even if they had lines, if they weren't key actors, uh, they were just people on the street that saw him filming. He's like, Wanna be in my movie? And then the in this opening scene you're describing uh, apparently the uh, all the police officers and prison guards were actually police officers and prison guards. And he's like, well, I could save money by just hiring them because I don't have to get any wardrobe. They're already wearing oh, costumes. Wow. So uh, looking just smart. come on in. Like that woman <laughs> that comes in and like clanks the wrench yeah, on yeah, the yeah. Uh, jail bars and wakes them up. That's uh, straight up. She was a police officer working in that particular jail. Wow. They're, just, they're like, just do this and hit the wrench. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And that's, you know, that kind of does lead to one thing that I will give this movie and Rodriguez specifically a lot of credit for, which is that, like, he didn't try to pretend like he didn't have $7,000 to work with. You know, he made really he does over the course right. of the film make really smart decisions like he does try to stretch that budget, whether it's just the way that he films or blocks a scene or, you know, where he decides to to spend his money. He does a really good job of really stretching that $7,000. I mean, you know, I don't know what the equivalent is today, but it can't be more than what double or something like that. Either way, it's, it's, you know, yeah. but at the well, same and, and technology's come down. He spent most of that on film stock because he shot sure. this on 16 millimeters. So you have uh processing and telecine and color correction and all that shit. And he, he went down to videotape and he edited it on tape, uh, I believe, but um, he still shot on 16 and he spent most of his budget on that. Mm. So, and he, he came in, um, Ahead of schedule and under budget when he delivered his film at a budget of seven thousand. So good for him, good man. For that yeah, man. that'll that'll get you future work every single time. I really want to ask you: um, Is it your opinion? Is this era? Is this kind of El Mariachi and and movies like this that were made at this time? Is this kind of the dawn of guerrilla filmmaking? Uh, as we know it, um, I know there were some people even maybe like, I don't know if you'd consider Cassavetes in that regard, but, mm -hmm. uh, you know, again, through the 80s and even part of the 70s, I kind of feel like even our auteur movement was under the studio system to a certain degree. Um, you know, your Scorsese's, your Woody Allen's, your, you know, Coppola's, etc. Mm -hmm. um, but. Uh, this w wasn't. This was a guy who borrowed a friend's camera and just went out and made a movie. And this is what filmmakers have been telling indie filmmakers to do as a, their key course of advice ever since. It's just go make something, you know, yeah. quit, being, quit talking about it, go be about it. it. Do you think this is like one of the first films that you could think of, Jason, uh, that falls under that category of guerrilla filmmaking? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that in terms of starting a movement, perhaps, because... I do think that we saw a lot of that in sort of the 60s and 70s, right, before the studio system had sort of taken over because I forget the exact history behind it, but I think it was like I had something – there was some weird connection with like the mob and they like funneled a bunch of money. So there was like a period in the 60s where they didn't like have 
the same money that they did before or something like that. So they were basically just like handing all these like Yahoo hippies, like a few grand and a camera and being like, Hey, you know, go make some shit. Um, so (laughs) I think that it wasn't really, that sort of started the, I think when it comes to the guerrilla filmmaking process, I would say that that was probably the start of it. And then it evolved over time and then grew. And then, yeah, cats like Kevin Smith and, and Rodriguez and all these guys sort of took that mantle in the 90s. But then it sort of became yeah. its own sort of subgenre in a way in the 90s, you know, like the like you said, the auteur movement. And I think that led to cats like Paul Thomas Anderson being given, you know, big studio roles at like 24 um, where maybe that wouldn't have happened beforehand. So, yeah, that's the thing, dude. All these guys, they're like in their early 20s, dude. It just it puts a lot of pressure on people like us who it's like, oh, well, I'm 30 and I don't have anything. So uh, my career is over before it started. And then it's like, well, no, dude, like all these cats are in their 50s and 60s for the most part. It's easy to get caught up in like the youth movement. But, you know, you take a step back and there's a reason most directors are, are older, you know, as opposed to younger. Well, you could you could take a seat at that table any time you want. That's the wonderful part about filmmaking. Some people make their first film at, you know, 19. Some people make their first film at 40. You know, there's no mm-hmm. wrong time to, to go be a storyteller. When sure. you have a story to tell, you tell it. And when you're ready to step up to that plate and make those sacrifices, uh, you can. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, this is one of those films that I always looked at when I was younger as, like, one of the first times I'd heard of people using, like, wheelchairs and shopping carts as dollies and shooting out of the backs of trucks is like yeah you know your uh techno crane or whatever is like i don't know um sweeping shots and fast movement and, and this and that so this is a very diy uh, how how can i emulate these shots that i've seen my whole life how do i get that on with no money and you know instead of a dolly and dolly track and a grip you know, you get a shopping cart or whatever. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But dude, so, okay, let's, but take like the first Evil Dead, right? What is that? Like 78, something like that? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the same thing, Horror right? Like they had to DIY the You're sh- absolutely right. Okay, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, putting it on the wood plank to get the POV shots and shit. Yeah. So like people had been doing that, but I think relative, so I think the, I think the difference is that I don't think the 80s had much of that, right? Maybe it was because it was the decade of excess. There was a lot of money. Like I don't quite know the history of the 80s because i was just a little baby boy right um so yeah but you i don't think you had the auteur movement in the 80s so maybe it was like it kind of started to germinate in the 60s and carried through to the 70s and then there was like a dormant period in the 80s and then it came back in the 90s and then also because of our age you know that's in our 90s was where you know like you and i really started those are the ones i remember take note of film and really pay attention okay take an additional interest so i'm sure there's a lot of influences but i do think that it was probably certainly within our generation and it was it was celebrated to a degree that you don't see anymore you know and maybe that's because it was in that sweet spot where it was right before you know all of this affordable technology hit the market to where anybody for a few grand could go make a movie so you know when a 23 year old kid you know grabbed seven thousand dollars and you know a bunch of chutzpah and went out and made a movie it was a big deal and you know today it'd be like wow get in line kid yeah there's fucking two dozen people just like you well and also too uh like i said earlier i I think the 90s i always think of the 90s as like the height or the peak of the vhs market so these movies all became more accessible uh to us in the 90s than probably they were in the 70s or 80s when, you know, and not everyone had a VHS player. Uh, sure. 
to go home and watch movies. And you you know, nineties were the five movies five days for five bucks, and you can go get all these awesome <laughs> classics and get caught up. Dude, but you're right though, horror best, films man. are the exception. I remember like renting like the entire Evil Dead trilogy one night because I hadn't seen any of them, and I just oh like, yeah, it was like three for five for Blockbuster, and you get them for like two or three nights or whatever, and just like marathoned them back to back. Like, can you? I can't even imagine marathoning three movies back to back anymore. Like, it's crazy. Oh, Simpler all times, the time. Man. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. And, you know, I did Godfather on a Thanksgiving weekend because I had an extended weekend uh, from school. And I rented all three Godfather films and watched them in my bedroom on a 13 inch black and white television oh, wow. uh, over the course of the weekend. And That's awesome. um, I don't think I finished the third one. Uh, but I remember hating Godfather for a long time because of that. I was like, those movies are shit. He was like, yeah, dipshit. You watched them all back to back on a 13-inch black and white television. Not really the uh, auteur's intended uh, experience that he wanted you to <laughs> sit down in front of a... That's great, man. We're, we're definitely showing our age right now, for sure. Yes, yes. <laughs> Give me some ecto-cooler. <laughs> Bring on Saturday morning cartoons. <laughs> So back to this movie we watched. I swore we yeah. watched this movie, everybody. Um. <laughs> okay, so uh, real quick, man, I'm gonna go ahead. Um, we're, we're... We haven't even finished the first scene. I'm so sorry. <laughs> we're so far into this. Oh man, we're good at this, aren't we? <laughs> oh, we're the best. The okay. good news is I'm almost out of notes on this movie, so I'll shut up soon. Oh, dude, I've still, I still. I'm only on page two of six, so we're gonna have to just go oh, through mine. I'll shut up. You take the wheel. Skipping forward. Jason, take Uh, the wheel. (laughs) So when we when we get introduced to the protagonist, he's got this guitar case. Shows up to this bar. He's looking for work, trying to follow in his father's footstep as a mariachi. And we get something that you know would become a staple of Rodriguez filmmaking, both for this film and moving forward, which is the he is not afraid of broad comedy, man. Like, he, you know, doesn't make pure action movies. Like, he tends to make sort of, like, action comedies, right? And even his, you know, more serious stuff definitely has comedic effects, right? Like, even from Dust Till Dawn, there's, like, the whole silly Los Lobos moment where they're, you know, playing the dead bodies as their instruments. Like, he's definitely not afraid to be silly. We see that in that scene where the, he's trying to sell his mariachi services to the bartender. He's like, ah, why would I get with you? I've got this, like, entire, you know, orchestra right here, and it's this guy on this, like, synth, <laughs> and then he, like, there's these silly sound effects, and the whole thing's done in, like, this sped-up fast motion, and then he plays just the most ridiculous music and so like I do kind of dig that about him you know like I thought that moment it was it was super cheesy right but uh, there's also kind of a part where it's like you know the fact that he's willing to just not take himself seriously is kind of refreshing and that is also a staple of 90s action movies they did not take themselves seriously at all dude so when you go back and you watch these like Schwarzenegger and Stallone films and all of this stuff man like you could never get away today with just like murdering a bunch of like you know like foreign terrorists or whatever and then making a cheesy pun right like those those things are are viewed through a much more realistic lens whereas in the 90s like everything was still sort of over the top and cartoonish and people weren't really taking this shit seriously so you definitely still get a lot of that vibe in this film uh, which is nice, you know. I cannot wait to see RoboCop for that reason. <laughs> RoboCop, uh, by the way, for our listeners, is on our list. Uh, Paul Verhoeven, early Verhoeven. I'm so excited to watch RoboCop again. Yeah, through yeah. That, through this and, lens, and that that's funny because that one was actually a bit of a point of contention between us too, because we kind of went back and forth, like, oh, is it 
I mean, uh, you know, this is esoteric cinema. I mean, is it, it a little bit too big? Like, has have too many people no. seen it to be on the list? But Ryan gave a very impassioned defense, and I like, I just, I bought it hook, line, and sinker, and it went right on there. So, yeah, uh, yeah I appreciate it. Yeah, you got a brain and eyeballs in a in a water tank, you know. I mean, I'm all in for that. It's just it's a bunch of silliness that you don't think. You just think of RoboCop as like a, a toy selling commercial machine, and the sequels were dumbed down and made for children. I think a little more, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, the the first one's pretty hard. Um, so I'm glad you brought up the uh, the kind of the the speed up and slow mo and and odd camera movements that he does that makes it feel kind of campy. Um, I, I wrote down that I thought that it was very influential for filmmakers like maybe even Edgar Wright or, oh, yeah. uh, the, you know, mo- for, and gave us movies like Kung Fu Hustle. Um, well, you, you know, know what this I, one I thought, reminded you know, me a lot of is, is, is it kind of had like a, a Peter Jackson vibe. Like I was reminded like with Peter a lot Jackson, of the like yep. wide mm-hmm. angle lens and close up and camera movement, it really reminded me of a lot of the shots in like early Peter Jackson, like, you know, dead alive and. Well, Dead uh, Alive was made around this time, I think, right? Yeah. That was about 93, I think. Yeah, and so, I think it was similarly. Yeah, like he was just over New Zealand doing and, the same shit. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think there was this movement. And, and I do think that a lot of it was just financially motivated. You know, again, it's like, yeah. yeah, you know, I don't have a cinematographer with a whole lighting kit and, you know, seven different lenses that he can pop out, dude. Like, I just need one wide-ass lens that I can, like, keep everything in focus and just get this thing done and, you know, keep right, everything right, in focus yeah. as easily as possible because I'm also, you know, I'm directing the actors and I'm holding the damn camera on my shoulder at the same time. So when you push the camera in and the, your wide angle distorts the face, you know, a little bit and it compresses your background in certain ways or decompresses the background, you get a certain look that we look at now maybe as, oh, that was a cool choice or it looks a certain way. But mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. He's probably just grabbing a camera on his shoulder and pushing in to keep everything in focus. And yeah. It looks OK. But it works for those films because they do have that sort of over the top personality about them, you know, so it makes sense to yeah, yeah. you know do a Dutch angle push in close up with. With distorted fisheye lens when you know you've got a giant zombie creature who's got another zombie creature in its belly right and you're, you've got a you've got a, a dude who's mowing them de- literally mowing them down with a lawnmower blade it's just gut blood gushing everywhere like yeah we don't need hyper realism for that right because of the technology that you're shooting it with and everything it just kind of looks like it fits and and uh i I really enjoyed this movie, but I definitely see your point. Um, I thought, uh, so, you know, our, our mariachi, uh, lead character, Carlos Gallardo, that, uh, gets confused with Azul because they both have guitar cases. I love that that was kind of, you know, that's all you needed. Oh, he has a guitar case. It's him. It's a guy, you know? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think they also say he's like dressed in black at one point or something. It's like, oh, well, there's only one person who would ever dress in black and carry a guitar case. Like that's not an archetype of person by any means. Did you think he he looked uh, so when he first came on the on the screen? I'm like, well, that's Mexican Howie Mandel. And then as the movie <laughs> progressed, I'm like, that's John Cryer from Pretty in Pink. And then it progressed a little more. I'm like, no, he's Ferris Bueller now. But he was always somebody else. Honestly, <laughs> that's me. funny. It's funny that you say that because for some reason, whatever reason, I couldn't get out of my head like young George Lopez. It was kind of weird. Dude. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But then maybe like the next scene, he would kind of have like a, like a, a young Mario Lopez sort of thing. Right. I don't know. There's <laughs> <laughs> a man of many faces is what we're saying. So I actually do yeah. want to, uh, I do want to play a clip here real quick. So shortly after we get that sort of silly scene in the bar, he, uh, ends up 
leaving that, you know, he's trying to find work as a mariachi. Azul, the drug dealer, shows up in the next bar, and he has his black guitar case filled with the weapons. It kind of sets up our case of mistaken identity, and this is going to, like I said, this is in the English dub, so just revel in the magnificence that is this clip of English dubbed El Mariachi. What the hell is this? Mariachi day? There's no work for you either. <laughs> Cantinero, una cerveza. for a very good friend of mine. His name is Moko. Where is he? He's here sometime. He owns the bar. So, you know him? Here, your beer. Of course. We work for Moko. Too bad. Hold this. Yeah, man, so it's like if you want 80 minutes of that type of production and accent and everything else that goes along with it, definitely check out that Crackle version for free. Like I said, it might make for a really fun sort of drinking game or something like that. There's something there, dude. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> listeners, you figure it out. Hit us up at Esoterica Cinema. Let us know what drinking game you came up with to watch the English dub of Crackle, man. I know some of you guys out there got something fun. And let's <laughs> let's just make a whole game out of this thing, man. Um, so, yeah. But after that, and then after that, we actually get like our first sort of... Um, uh, action scene really so it's when he checks into the motel once again we get that sort of like fast sped up thing where the motel owner calls i guess moko right and informs him that the guy is here and it's again for you know a low budget action scene it's pretty well orchestrated like uh he rodriguez is being smart about his shot choices and a lot of that sort of uh decision making that goes into to, to directing so, you know, shooting everything, it looks it looks good. And then, you know, from there we get like the requisite chase scene and he does the little sort of move where he like zip lines down, you know, the electrical cores and ends up on the car and then they're chasing him through. And all of these things are like pretty decently done. But at the same time, like you're not going to mistake this for Michael Mann or anything like that, like. Once again, this is a movie, you know, you talk about something like Man of Steel where you can, like, see the $200 million up on the screen. This is a movie where you can see the $7,000 up on the screen. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, let's just be honest here, you know. Uh, But, again, like, charming the fact that this kid just made the best of what he had. And 
You know, again, it's, now he's, yeah. he's he's Robert Rodriguez and I'm Jason Peters, right? So one of us did something right and it wasn't me. Yeah, I mean, he made a movie, you know, kudos to him. And uh, it, just getting that done back then. I mean, this is a time before digital. This is a time before YouTube tutorials, um, you know, any way where to get your film out. Like there's no digital copy that you could just blanket to all your festivals. You got to like actually yeah. make prints and send them out. Like this is a big thing back then. And it was the last time it was a big thing. I mean, it's still a big thing. It's I haven't, you know, uh, look, I haven't made a movie, uh, but um, it's. It's easier, I think, to get a seat at the table now than it used to be. It's certainly more affordable to sure. just go out and make something. Uh, I think we get in our own way a lot now because we make too much of it. This guy didn't. He just went out against all odds and made a damn thing. The chase scene um, was pretty funny. They closed down a block, and they just kept running up and down the same street. Um, <laughs> he was in the back of a truck following them. Uh, and it looks like they've run across town because uh, it's a really long chase scene. Here's the thing, though. It really doesn't, buddy. It really doesn't, dude. Like, that scene in particular made me <laughs> chuckle because, like, they're just running back and forth. And it's just like, here's a close-up of this guy running. Here's a close-up of the yep. other guy running. Back to a close-up of the other guy running. Guess what? Another <laughs> close-up of that previous guy running. And it's like, can you just get well, it's all shot other so tight. framing and, and cut that in here, dude? Like... And I swear they've run past the same store seven times. Like, come on, dude. No, no. Well, that's what I was just going to say. They just closed down one block and you could see a lot of the same backdrops uh, yeah. behind them. And then when they're done, if you look over uh, our mariachi's shoulder at the very end, it seems like he's run across town or it's supposed to seem that way. And he's got the same bar uh, that he left when he started right over his shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I guess yeah. um, this is also the first time in the film when they're doing this chase scene that I really started to pay attention to the sound design. Um, mm -hmm. Apparently, because um, you, you hear them breathing really heavy, the music kind of drops out, and you're kind of in the moment, and the sound design kind of brings you in a little bit into that chase scene because uh, the visuals really don't. So uh, you hear a lot of footsteps. You hear a lot of heavy breathing. Um, apparently he recorded everything with just a microphone going into a tape cassette recorder, and he would do the entire dialogue of the whole film that he would ha film them because he didn't have a sound guy. So he'd film them doing it on camera. And then uh, because cameras back then didn't have audio inputs, you would go up with his tape recorder and stick a microphone in and have them redo the line um, as close to how they just performed it a second ago as possible. He wow. would film this whole movie in one take. He only he would never do second takes. So everything you see is pretty much one take. And he would try to shoot as long as he could until his actors messed up. And the second they would mess up, that would be his edit point. And then he wow. would move camera and get them to pick it up from there. Kind of the same way we make this podcast. So he, he so 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 he straight Jay Z er, El Mariachi, just like one take king. I guess, just like bam, one take. Yeah. I do, like Calculon style. I don't do second takes. Absolutely. So yeah, I one. One take, Robbie. <laughs> so, so let's so let's get back to the film here, real quick. In though. doing that, the sound is and recording the sound design that way. I just thought like there were fans that he would like show the fan, and you'd hear like a, an exaggerated like foo, 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 and uh, footsteps were good. He uh, breathing was heavy, and I I really thought it was a fun way to watch a movie. I appreciated that he recorded the sound that way. Yeah, well, and and as you know, because again, for anyone listening, uh, Ryan Ryan does make a living doing sound in the old uh, entertainment industry for various entities. So if anybody knows good sound, it's going to be him. And 
you know, as as you point out often, you know, it's the one thing that so many people overlook that has such a dramatic effect on the finished product because people don't, you know, everyone's worrying about the cinematography and the acting and this and that and, you know, what lens are we on? You know, meanwhile, you know, you've got everything that sounds like it's being recorded in a tin can box and sounds like shit and there's, you know, no sound effects when people are walking and so it's got this just sort of hollow, amateurish feel. So it's definitely recognized that you know Rodriguez recognized the importance of sound design and didn't ignore it so again props to him for this like it is really just I mean the reason this film doesn't work at the end of the day for me is it's just it's just a lack of resources and it's like it's like this kid's like sort of demo tape right like it speaks to what right. he's going to become but it's it's still you know his first movie it's you know hard eight for That's PTA. a great way to describe it's, it yeah you know it's um and i haven't seen following but i imagine it's the same way with chris nolan where it's like you know yeah there's there's elements here that are i feel that way about pie i know people love darren aronofsky's pie i think that it's a decent film that speaks to the person that he's going to become but like i don't love watching that movie it's more of just a an interesting note you know, in terms of how Darren Aronofsky broke into filmmaking. So it's it's kind of like that, you know, again, it's 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 a good representation of his vibe and what he's going to do. But in and of itself, I can't say that it's necessarily enjoyable. I I, I couldn't agree more. And that's a great way to, to phrase it with the demo tape. Um, so our, our mariachi uh, gets mistaken for our big bad guy, the Azul. Uh, Azul and Moko are two gangster gang leaders, whatever, that are uh, kind of at odds. Uh, somehow our mariachi gets caught up into this because he resembles Azul in the sense that he has a guitar case. His is really a guitar case. Azul's is a guitar case full of guns. Um, and, uh, dude, our mariachi shit escalates very quickly. <laughs> uh, next thing you know, he's caught up in the middle of it. He uh, somehow talks a... Uh, our femme fatales, uh, Domino's, uh, uh, he's a, she's a bar owner. He goes in to try to pitch himself to get a job. Next thing you know, he's living there. Uh, yeah. he just, he's like, yeah, I just, I just killed, uh, you know, four, four men out in the street. I need a place to hide. And she's like, I don't know. I, I feel kind of weird about that. Yeah, bitch, you should totally feel weird about this. Like that's. Don't let this man inside your house. He is a killer. You just said so. <laughs> Before we progress, Ryan, I actually, that's one of the other clips that I have is that scene right there. And I mean, she does sort oh, of perfect. You know, pick it up, pick up the phone to call the cops, but it's very half-assed. So let's go ahead and, and play that for the listeners here. And this is the quick. English dubbed? This is the oh, English yeah. dubbed version of that scene? You're going to get this in all of its oh, 90s fantastic English dub glory. Here we go. <laughs> I love it. Get the bus mariachi. Did you drink too much soda? I just killed four men. Is it true? Wait a minute. What is your name? Domino. Wait a minute. Domino was self-defense. I'm not from here. I don't know anybody. I don't have any friends or enemies. Then they were thieves. I don't know. 
there were four men. And I'm staying in the cheapest hotel. No money, nothing of value. They were only interested in killing me. And why did you come here? So they could kill me or what? You see, I really need somewhere to stay until all of this passes over. They're confusing me with someone else. I'm just a mariachi. I have a room upstairs. My room. Don't touch anything. I'll be up later, and we'll call a friend of mine. Gracias. I'll never forget this. So yeah, man, once again, like some pretty heavy Cinemax vibes on there. And then right after that, we get that scene where she like threatens him in the bathtub with, you know, what we think is like a knife, but it ends up being a letter opener. And she's like, sing, sing a whole song. And he's like, blah, 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 blah. Like, and it's just like, and then immediately after that, we get another like, no, not immediately, but like two or three scenes later, like he's down in the bar and then he gets the whole five minute song. And it's like, I, again, man, it felt like like that Bo Diddley moment in Fritz the Cat like the other day, like just you're, yeah, you're, yeah. You're, you're an 80 minute film. You can't use music for five to seven minutes of filler, dude. Like, come on. Yeah. 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 I mean, he was pretty bold to just go one minute. He was killing people out on the street. And then he was like, I need a place to duck out. You know, can I just hide upstairs? She's like, oh, begrudgingly gives in. Then this guy just like strips down naked and helps himself to a bath. No big deal. <laughs> and she comes walking in. There's like some naked murderer is in my bathtub. And she's like, you know, I'm going to go handle that. I, I don't know, man. The whole thing just kind of, <laughs> this is also when, uh, around the time that, he, you know, I think there's no less than what, three or four dream sequences in the film. That yeah. Come up with like weird. his severed head and stuff and the kid. And I didn't, I, again, dude, it kind of just felt like filler. He like, he wrote like a, yeah. And, and well, and here's the interesting thing. I didn't even think about it until right now. Cause I was about to say that, like, it feels like he wrote a television program, but now that I'm saying it out loud, like, wasn't that originally <laughs> what he, what this was for? I, I think I read that, right? Is like it? he was gonna, he oh, was gonna release know. it on Mexican television and then, okay. and then like, uh, Columbia pictures at the last minute came in and was like, Hey kid, like we, we like your film. Like we want to bring it stateside and promote it there. And so they spent like $200,000 to like basically adapt it for American audiences. And then another couple mil to promote it. So, but yeah, so I think that a lot of these things are like, just where the studio was like, listen, kid, you know, you've got 40 minutes of great program here. We need you to double that. What can you do? And he's like, well, I, uh, I like music <laughs> and I've got silly cartoon scenes in my head that I can throw in. And they're just like, I love it, kid. You're great. You know, here's a bowl of cereal. Get along here. You little whippersnapper. <laughs> it just feels very it's edgy. The sometimes. kids will love it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Also some great, uh, nineties tastic synth drums throughout, you know, the, like just the just that perfect <laughs> suspenseful 90s synth music you know where it was just like whatever 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 the question was the answer was more synths yeah yeah <laughs> i i mean there was i think some some pretty heavy saxophone in there too as well i don't know it was probably it was, um, it was probably just the synth saxophone though Probably just that setting. Yeah, it was definitely the on a Casio <laughs> or Yamaha uh, keyboard back then. Um, yeah, the, the everything kind of felt a little disjointed. The nuts and bolts of this film 
were good. Uh, it like you said, it shows promise of a future career. Um, even the ending of the film was a little off. Um, you could kind of see what was going to happen. Yeah, Peter Marquardt's acting uh, as Moko was way, way over the top, like <laughs> telenovela over the top. Yeah, um, which again, uh, to your point, maybe what they were shooting for. Um, this movie, when I finished watching this film, all it did was make me want to go watch Desperado and um, <laughs> Once Upon a uh, Time, Dust Till Dawn, and some of the some of his. The no, Mexico not that one. Uh, all the rest. Of I, never, I never, I never saw that <laughs> one. I, I heard it was bad, but I know that's the third in his like quote unquote yeah, Mexico trilogy. Yeah. Uh, again, you know, I think you said this uh, before, where uh, I just, uh, much like yourself, I have a very love hate relationship with Robert yeah, Rodriguez. And it's not even per movie. Like each movie, I both love and hate. Like <laughs> within the confines of said movie. So, uh, I, I. There are a few really good classics I love from Dust Till Dawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, Same. I love Planet Terror. Same. Uh, I remember liking Desperado. I need to go back and rewatch it, though, because as we're finding out, some of these movies from the early 90s, mid 90s didn't really hold up. So I'm really yeah. curious about Desperado. I hope I still like it. I really do. Sin I, City was great, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, I came I came late to Desperado. So like pretty much everybody I know that loves Desperado, that was like one of their like first really big action movies. And it was also like right about the time that they were 14 and you just had prime Salma Hayek there, which I maintain was a lot of reason that a lot of these people loved that film so much when they were teenagers. So I came to it late. Right. And uh, so being in your 20s and I think experiencing Desperado is probably way different than being in your 14 and uh, being in your teens and being 14 and experiencing Desperado. So I don't remember loving it. It was one of those things I saw once just because. Honestly, I think everybody had been telling me to watch it by that point. It was like 10 years of like, you got to see it. You got to see it. Finally see it. You're like, this is what I didn't want to see it. I knew I was going to like it as much as you guys do. And <laughs> I also am just not like, I like, kind of like you said, I, I have a love hate relationship with Rodriguez. Like, first of all, he's one of those guys I want to like more than anything in the world. Like, let's just get that out of the way. Like I'm typically rooting for Robert Rodriguez, right? I love From Dust Till Dawn and Planet Terror, like you mentioned. I think his style is a little bit schlocky and it maybe lends itself well to, you know, some of the more like horror related films that he does. I never. Machete was great. I love Machete. It's fine. I mean, I saw again. I saw it. I liked it. I liked it. I I didn't dislike it. I just I can't say I loved it. And I'm still waiting for Thanksgiving, first of all, too. So until that comes out, I could give a shit. Uh, about machete, <laughs> machete kills and all that. Little biased. Come on, Eli, bring it, bring it for us here. But uh, so yeah, let's just go ahead and let's let's jump to sort of pretty much the end of this film because there's a lot of sort of just like you know Azul is being mistaken at one point. Their guitar cases do get switched, and then you know, and uh, the our main character, the mariachi, ends up actually getting kidnapped by Moko's henchmen and brought to Moko. And then Moko's like, oh, that's not the right guy because he's looking for Azul. And then he like just has him sort of unceremoniously dumped back into the street. And that's another thing that I did think was weird about this film, Ryan, is that like the mariachi, he's supposed to be our protagonist. But like he kind of exists outside the central conflict of the film. Like the central conflict of the film yes, he does. is between Azul and Moko. And he's just kind of this by bystander. Right. And. Right. Even to the point where, like I said, like he gets kidnapped by the bad guy and the bad guy's like, ah, send it back. That's trash. I don't want it. Like, 
Well, you're, you're right. supposed to be going after the main character. That's supposed to be like the object of your pursuit and vice versa. So that was probably also just sort of a weird structural thing that made it play not as well. I for felt me. like everybody was on the outside of the central conflict of this film. Yeah. I felt like every there was nobody really there was no real rooting for the protagonist or against the antagonist. Everybody was just kind of like flopped in there you know i don't know the Mm. flavors didn't really meld in the pot to to me to make it like a cohesive uh struggle um i really never knew who i was rooting for who i was following obviously i'm supposed to be rooting for the mariachi um but everything he kind of found himself in was by complete accident again it was very the, the by the time we get into the conflict i i felt it was very it was almost like uh uh, Robert Rodriguez doing a sequel to Ferris Bueller. Like it was a very Ferris Bueller kind of, uh, no, I'm now in this bucket of syrup, sticky hot water situation. How do I get out of this? You know? Like, yeah. Yeah. No, no, I hear you. So by the end we do get that um, showdown, you know, which is kind of central to every film that's kind of in this vein. And uh, I do have a clip of that as well that I'll play us. So Azul ends up kidnapping the woman that's the bartender. And of course, you know, by this point, the mariachi and her kind of have feelings for one another. And so Azul's kidnapped After her. After what could only be like 24 hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it all escalated very quickly. Yeah, we we warped speed through, uh, right through the development of that relationship. Uh, they they met and then they were in love. That's that. No questions asked. We got a, we got a movie to move forward with here. And so we're going to go ahead and listen to that final scene between Moko and Azul. Let's listen. Perdóname. I'm sorry he used you to get to me. Moko, pay me what you owe, or I'll soak your clothes in her blood! Let her go, Asul. You'll get your share. Make me a map to where I can find Moko. What did you do with him? Kin? The mariachi that they confused with Azul. So that's why you hung up on me last night. Running around without me? With that pinche mariachi all over you! Give me what you owe me now! After everything I've done for you! This is how you treat me? I never asked for anything until now. Let him go. I swear I'm gonna kill her! You're not gonna kill her. I'm gonna kill her. Once again, Ryan, you gotta love that 90s dubbing. It is fantastic. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. So yeah, and then after this, uh, I suppose you know he's trying to go for some sort of poetic justice thing. Rodriguez is, but it also I don't think the mariachi really did anything to warrant his hand getting shot the way that it did. I think we were supposed to be like, oh, the mariachi lost his ability to play his guitar, but you know he ends up getting his hand shot through and he falls to the ground. And then there's just that whole thing where the guns conveniently lying next to him. I think probably was maybe Azul's. And he sort of grabs it and shoots Moko, 
and you know we get the slow motion death and then all the goons around him just sort of fail to react and this was really disappointing for me Ryan because I was really hoping that this was something where Rodriguez was kind of holding his chips back for the end. I mean, again, I know $7,000 is nothing, right. right? But I was hoping where it's like, okay, we haven't got much action through this quote-unquote action movie. I hope that he's saving it for the end and we can at least get like a seven-minute shootout chase whatever, right? But instead, it's just this yep. very sort of anticlimactic moment where it's very convenient and there's a single gunshot One that and rings done. out and... It's just yeah, it's like hey, you know what? We're done here. We we hit we hit our we hit our eighty minutes, and uh, let's call this a wrap. Everyone's got wives and girlfriends to get home to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gotta gotta wash those flannel shirts. <laughs> so then you know he uh, just sort of rides off into the sunset. You know he's unable to play again, and I do also wonder you know how much of this movie maybe got its attention because it was so inexpensive, right? Like if Rodriguez made this movie for seven thousand, I mean, you think they were able to buy it from him as a twenty-three-year-old kid for like fourteen to twenty, and be like, "Hey, kid, you'll double your money. This is a great deal for you." And he's like, "Wow, I doubled my money. Yeah. I made seven thousand dollars." And then they're just like, "Ha ha, stupid kid." Uh, I don't know if dude. Maybe that I mean, I, I get it. it. I I don't think there's any better way that, to describe it than you already did, which is this is probably like uh, a mixtape. Like I, I think Robert Rodriguez masterpied the fuck out of this. He <laughs> sold a mixtape out of the back of his car and uh, it caught on and people liked it. Uh, he went on to get a lot more money uh, down the road. I, I would argue, you know, he, some movies, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, you know, uh, for him. Sometimes he does better work with more money. Sometimes he doesn't. But uh, I, I enjoy his films. I enjoyed this film. I It was a fun romp for the times. Um, I remember my dad had that exact same Ford F-150 uh, that gets used a lot in the movie. Um, so there was a lot of nostalgia to this. Yeah, I, It just made me want to watch Desperado. Because Desperado, does, say what you will about Desperado, but it does give you the seven-minute shootout. It does give you... Danny Trejo chucking knives through the sunroof of a limousine. It gives you a lot of these things that you wanted from this movie that you're like, I'll stick through the schlockiness. I'll stick through all of this, uh, the Casio keyboard five minute scene or whatever for no reason. Uh, but, uh, and the dream sequences and blah, blah, blah. But you just want a little more payoff at the end. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that that's where Desperado succeeds where this fails. Fair enough. Fair enough. Like I said, I'm I'm not at all familiar. Uh, I really don't remember anything. He certainly from that movie. stepped up his guitar case budget because the guitar case <laughs> in this film, full of guns, look like the guns are just straight up rattling around in that case. They don't look secured at all. <laughs> and the guitar case is not a good one. Uh, the one in Desperado, though, it's all custom fitted and velvet lined, and Antonio Banderas looks like Banderas looks like a badass grabbing grenades and shit. It's all got secret doors. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, no. The cat got some money to play with, and he put it to good use. For sure. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, wrap this up as we do all of our episodes with three adjectives. Hit me up, Ryan. What you got? Uh, so actually, I used telenovela as one of my <laughs> first uh, words. Namely, and, and so that all kind of started with the... Um, I instantly felt like I was watching a telenovela when the girl in the pool was at Moco's house. Oh yeah. 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 Like uh, early she, on. Yeah. We follow her and like, there's an opening tracking shot and she like, 
fall, a pretty girl comes around in a bikini, very stereotypical early '90s stuff, and then mm-hmm. she dives in. We follow her under the water, it's all and then like she slow comes mo. up revealing Moko, but not his face. Yeah, and then you know she's in every shot with Moko as like, you know his yeah. His, uh, she kind of had like a young Sofia Vergara vibe. She's kind of pretty. A bit. A bit. It just felt like a, a Mexican telenovela trope to me to always have the pretty girl in the bikini. I don't know. That, and that's, but that's also the action trope, right? I mean, whether it's Mexican telenovela or you know American, you know, balls to the wall action movie, like to an extent, there's always a pretty girl extent, in there, yeah. hot chick, whatever. I think RoboCop has a lot of that too. Uh, to bring that back around, I think we're going to see some of that back with RoboCop <laughs> as well. So uh, you really want to watch? <laughs> it was RoboCop, kind of an eighties, nineties thing. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really ready for Romica. Uh So, telenovela, uh, cheap because it did feel cheap. Yeah. Uh, whether that's good or bad, that's up to the the viewer. And uh, kind of boring. I was kind of <laughs> bored because I never knew uh, who to root for. Uh, the dream sequences kept taking me out of it. Um, I wanted more out of this film than it gave me. I like you said. I see glimpses of great greatness. Uh, but it ain't there yet. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, keep yeah. on going. <laughs> this is kind of boring. Yeah, it really was, dude. I, I had a note that I didn't say, but right, right around 60 minutes, I, I have a note. Like, I shouldn't be ready for a movie to be over after 60 minutes. Like, <laughs> that's I'm that's just glad great. it was 80 minutes long. Yes. <laughs> at, at least the filmmakers were, were, were courteous enough to wrap this up quick once they realized that yep. we didn't need to go any longer than it did. They were out of money, let's be honest. I don't think it was for our benefit. <laughs> My three adjectives, Ryan. Uh, the first one I'm going to give is energetic. There was a lot of energy behind this film. Obviously, he's a young kid. He's eager to please. He's eager to show his chops, get out there, make movies, sure. get a little bit of money. So there is some energy behind this. Got to give it that. Well, the again, though, remember, the energy was because he had to cut every time his actor screwed up because he was only doing one take. So it's a lot of fast edits because sometimes he might have only gotten 30 seconds out of them. And it's mm-hmm. like, OK, let me change camera angles. I'm rolling and go. Yeah. And then they would pick right up again. And as, so that's that's where a lot of that kinetic energy comes from is the fast edits out of necessity. So interesting. Yeah, that's sometimes fair. it's uh, happy mistakes. Yeah, happy, mistakes. happy accidents. Right. We love them. Yeah. Second adjective. That's the phrase. Happy accidents. Second adjective I got is thin. Obviously, this is a movie with not much meat on the bone. Uh, you know, like I said, no it's, meat a, on the bone. <laughs> it's a uh, it's a it's an action movie without much action. So, you know, all the uh, pitfalls of low budget filmmaking that go along with making that type of film. And the other thing is that root- is uh, I got his routine. It's just, you know, it's a it's a by the numbers film. You know, it doesn't try to be really. I mean, the filmmaking itself perhaps is clever, like we talked about with regards to shot selection and some of the directorial decisions that he makes. But in terms of the actual story structure itself, very routine by the numbers, something you're going to see, like I said, 1am Cinemax showtime, uh, just, you know, a very direct to video sort of thriller feel. So let's go ahead and, uh, let's go ahead and formalize this, Ryan. Uh, why don't you give me your grade rating on this film? What you got? This one is a tough one, Jason, because, are you grading it for what you thought it was? Are you grading it for what he became? Or are you grading this film for just what it is? And if I'm grading the film for just what it is and and taking out of you know the situation, who would made it and why and the time and place and all of that and how much money, the movie itself is going to get it like a D, uh, D plus, maybe C minus if I'm given some extra credit. But, uh, you know, because of 
what it did because of its place in history, where it led his career. Uh, I could step this up to a solid C minus C grade rating. All right. What do you think? I I, th- I think that I think that you need to decide, buddy. You got to tell us what you're going with here, man. Let's lock this down, dude. You can't tell us yeah, what teach. you might do in a hypothetical situation. That situation is upon you, so answer it. Right. So here's the deal. I would pass you uh, taking out a you know context. Do you play football and uh, you know you're contributing to the team? Uh, <laughs> uh, let's go ahead and give it a C minus. All right. I'll meet it in the middle. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I kind of did something similar. So uh, again, for anybody listening that doesn't recall. He gives the grade ratings. I give the star ratings. My star rating is a two and a half out of five. And again, much like you, that is taking into account all of the circumstances behind the film, the lack of budget, the first time filmmaker, younger guy, everything that goes along with it. No professional actors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If I'm taking this film just on its own merits, I'm going to go ahead and give it two stars. Possibly even as low as one and a half if I'm in a bad mood. But uh, yeah, so it's got a caveat with it for sure. But again, you know, we do have to take into account circumstances, right? It's a degree of difficulty thing, right? Even the Russian judge takes into account when the degree of difficulty is high. And so we need to do the same. So he gets that extra half star for me. Going to call it two and a half out of five with the caveat that it's probably a two star film. That's fair. I, I I mean, because of the nature of this situation, you could have told me one star, you could have told me four, and I you you could have made an interesting argument for both. Yeah. I would have believed you on both. Yeah. This is just a beauty is in the eye of the beholder situation. Some of you guys are gonna watch this and like it. Some of you are gonna be like, you know, Ugh, what is what were they even thinking about? But uh, I hope that through the podcast we kind of explained somewhat properly that we see both sides and yeah. uh you know, it, it is what it is. Yeah. I definitely. do think I'm going to go watch Desperado this week, though. I'm really <laughs> curious about rewatching Desperado. Yeah, dude, you'll have to uh, you'll have to let us know what you think or I don't know, do some sort of bonus episode or just throw it out there on your Twitter or something like that. But uh, to everybody, thanks for listening. As a reminder, you can catch us on the Twitter at Esoterica Cinema. We love to hear from you. We appreciate the follow. And we also appreciate you reaching out and telling us what you thought about our program, telling us what you thought about this film. Was it your first time seeing it? Had you not seen it in forever? Do you hate the shrill nasal quality of my voice? Whatever it is, you can hit us up at Esoterica Cinema. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if maybe you have a little bit more that you'd like to say and 280 characters kind of limits you, you can send us an email, esotericacinema at gmail.com. Once again, hit us up about anything, whether you have some hot take on a movie we did or you have some hot take on a muffin you just ate. Either way, let us know, and we will be back in two weeks with a full episode. That episode, we will be looking at Solaris and Wild Strawberries, so make sure to join us for that. And thanks a lot for hanging out with us today on Esoterica Cinema. In a small town south of the border, chaos and anarchy have replaced law and order all under the watchful eye of local drug lord, Eructo. Eructo, why did you shoot my brother? He was himself a man of God. Well then I guess you could say I left him holier than thou. But when Eructo orders a failed hit on one of his men, a drug dealer named Rojo, 
Roho hits the streets, looking for revenge. You better be prepared, Eruto. I'm coming. I hope you're wearing protection. Sure am. I got a big black 28-incher that takes up both my hands. Meanwhile, completely removed from the central conflict at hand, a mariachi arrives looking for work and instead finds a super hot chick named Yahtzee with no suitors who immediately falls in love with his broke ass. I am myself a simple mariachi. Do you know how to play any instruments, Yahtzee? I do play one hell of a skin flute. My mother taught me, and her mother before her. After school, I used to stay late and practice with Mr. Sancho for hours. Hachi mariachi! But when Erupto learns that Yahtzee no longer cares for him, and never did, he flies into a jealous rage. Why are you rolling the dice with my heart? You're tearing me apart, Yahtzee! See the movie critics are hailing as not bad, sort of okay, and better than Once Upon a Time in Mexico. It's El Mariachi 2, El Mariachier, coming soon. From the imagination of acclaimed author Ashton McCauley comes the next great anti-hero in American fiction. His name is Nick Ventner, alcoholic by trade and monster hunter by profession. When Nick gets hired by a wealthy benefactor to find the lost gates of Shangri-La, it's up to him and his crotchety companion, James, to deliver the goods. The two soon find themselves on the adventure of a lifetime. And in addition to being chased by Nick's longtime rival, Manchester, they soon find themselves being hunted by a mythical and elusive yeti that has been terrorizing the Himalayas. Featuring non-stop action and an acerbic wit, Whiteout by Ashton McCauley is a thrill-a-minute page-turner you won't be able to put down until it's finished. You can find Whiteout in ebook, hardcover, and paperback versions online and everywhere books are sold. Published by Aberrant Literature.